Well, the title of my message this morning is this, Are You Wearing the Right Clothes? Are you wearing the right clothes? And I say that with a little bit of fear because I have people sometimes say to me, gee, I'd like to come to church, but I don't have the right clothes. Well, if you come to our church, I said you'll discover that anything works here. Okay? The right clothes. However, there are certain clothes that we need to wear that are the appropriate clothing. We're going to look at Matthew chapter 22, the first 14 verses, and I'm actually going to read the verses first and read this parable. So we're looking at a parable here this morning that Jesus is teaching and sharing. And I'll give you a little context in just a minute. But starting in verse 1 of chapter 22, And Jesus answered and spoke to them again in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son. And he sent out his slaves to call those who had been invited to the wedding feast, and they were unwilling to come. Again he sent out other slaves, saying, Tell those who have been invited, Behold, I have prepared my dinner, my oxen and my fattened livestock are all butchered, and everything is ready. Come to the wedding feast. But they paid no attention, and they went on their own way, one to his own farm and another to his business. The rest seized his slaves, his servants, and mistreated them and even killed them. The king was enraged and sent his armies and destroyed those murderers and set their city on fire. Then he said to his slaves, The wedding is ready, but those who were invited were not worthy. Go therefore to the main highways, and as many as you find there, invite to the wedding feast. And those slaves went out into the streets and gathered together all that they found, both evil and good. And the wedding hall was filled with dinner guests. But when the king came in to look over the dinner guests, he saw there a man not dressed in wedding clothes. And he said to him, Friend, how did you come in here without wedding clothes? And he was speechless. Then the king said to the servants, Bind him hand and foot, Cast him into the outer darkness. In that place there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen. When you look at this in the context of the the preceding chapters and what's going on, we're getting to the end of Jesus' ministry on earth. The triumphal entry into Jerusalem had just taken place. And if you recall, Jerusalem was God's chosen city. It was his city, so to speak. The temple was there. And when he comes into Jerusalem, we call it oftentimes the triumphal entry. If you remember, we, we talk about it a lot at Easter when he came in on that Palm Sunday. And he's coming into Jerusalem and the people are going crazy. They're cheering and yelling, Hosanna, Hosanna. And Jesus is coming and we read in the scriptures here that then all of a sudden the the, the, the religious people, they're not too excited. They're not singing Hosanna at all. And the people are asking, who is this guy? And, and even in their excitement, they miss it. They say, this is that one that's a prophet. They still aren't quite connecting. And Jesus comes in, and when he gets to Jerusalem, he goes to the temple. And when he gets to the temple, he does not like what he sees. The religious people have made a mockery of the temple. And he throws a holy tantrum. He tips over the tables and kicks them out of the temple, but he didn't kick everybody out. As a matter of fact, when he got rid of the religious people that were making a mockery of the temple, here came those who would not have been accepted, the sick, 
Those that needed healing. Those that needed a miracle came and it says He healed them and He did miracles. And it even says, and the Pharisees and the religious people saw Him doing these wonderful things and it ticked them off. And Jesus left. He walked out of Jerusalem. He went a mile or two up the mountain, up the hill, down the valley, up the next one. And He he goes to Bethany and He spends the night in Bethany. And then the next day we see, as we read in the Scripture in Matthew what's called the barren fig tree, the story of this fig tree. And Jesus, as he's walking along, heading back to Jerusalem, he sees this green, leafy fig tree. And you would normally go over to that green, leafy fig tree and look for the fruits so we could eat the fruit of that fig tree. But when he got there, there was no fruit, only leaves. And he curses the fig tree. And the fig tree really is a picture of Israel, the chosen people. Lots of leaves. They started out so well and and there's no fruit. And we see here over and over and over and over, Jesus is giving the people a second chance, giving those who were called His chosen people, Israel, giving them a chance, giving them a warning. Come on, turn to Me. He goes right from the, the fig tree to the couple of more parables. One was a parable about a man who had two sons and he goes to his two sons one at a time and he says to the first one, would you go into the the vineyard and work? Sure, Dad. Goes to another son and says, would you go to the vineyard and work? No way. I'm not doing it. Well, the one that said yes didn't go. The one that said no repented and went. And again, Jesus is showing these, these religious people, giving them another chance Come on, quit rejecting me. Be obedient. There's such blessing for you. And he goes right into another parable. And this time it's about a landowner who, who has this big vineyard and he, he makes a wine press and he does all these things, gets everything out there and then he rents it out to people to work the vineyard. And he goes then and says, I've got to send my, uh, some servants to go and collect some of the produce. Didn't go so well. They didn't receive his servants. He sent some more servants. It got even worse. And then he sent his son. And you're thinking, surely they'll, they'll honor my son. And they were a murderous, murderous group. They killed his son. And once again, in all of these, these parables, Jesus is giving him a chance. He's warning after warning after warning. And then we come to the parable that I want to focus on today. Now, a parable, though you can define it a number of different ways. Here's a simple definition I like. It's an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. It's sometimes, you know, if you want to make a point about something over here that might be just a little bit different or difficult to understand, and so what you do is you take a story about something that would be really common over here, and you take and tell that story, but in that story there's all kinds of metaphors, so what you're really telling them is the heavenly information but in a way that they should be able to understand. And in this story of a wedding feast, I'm not going to turn there, but not only is it a parable giving a heavenly information, it's a very prophetic parable, actually. If you would turn, and we're not going to go there, but if you want to just write down Revelations 19, starting at verse 7. In Revelation, there is a wedding feast with the bridegroom Jesus. And we're getting a prophetic picture even in this parable of that wedding feast. So we're going to look at three different invitations here that are given. And we're going to look at it in the sense of what's in that story for us? Does anything in that story that Jesus told apply to you and me? 
or could it? Starting in verse 1 again, it says, And Jesus answered and spoke to them again. Now the Pharisees are doing everything they can. The religious people, they're sending some uh, Herodians, they're sending some Sadducees, they're trying to trip up Jesus, they're trying to do anything they can to, to get him in a place where they can arrest him, imprison him, get rid of this troublemaker. But they're always hindered because the crowds and the people, they, they don't dare do any of that. And Jesus answers them again, and he spoke to them again by a parable, and he says, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of heaven. So he starts out and says, this is what I'm focusing on, the kingdom of heaven. And here's what it's like. It's like a certain king who arranged a marriage for his son and sent out his servants to call those who were invited, who were invited to the wedding, and they were not willing to come. He's speaking them in a parable again to the religious leaders. And he's trying to warn them over and over again of the danger of rejecting him. The danger of declining the invitation that had been extended. Jesus was really the first to bring the gospel message to the people. And he's been giving it clearly for anyone who would hear. But again, the chosen people, Israel their leaders continually reject it. And it says a certain king. Who is that king? For us in the parable, the heavenly message, it's God, the Father. The Father is inviting the guests to a wedding feast for his son, Jesus. In this wedding, now when you think about it, just in the natural, a natural king, a natural son, a prince, And invitations are sent out, and you get an invitation to go to the wedding of the prince of the kingdom you live in. Should be something you'd get excited about. Should be something you'd look forward to. I got the invitation. We get to go to the wedding of the king's son, the prince. An exciting time. I mean, in our day, we get that wedding invitation, and we're going to go, and we're going to celebrate at this wedding. Here, the invitation goes out. And it says, he had arranged this wedding. He had been doing whatever he could to make this event that everybody would want to come to. Making it a desirous invitation. Something that the people would look forward to, anticipate. Something that would normally be a very prized invitation. Which in a sense shows just how illogical it is to resist this invitation. It doesn't make any sense to resist this invitation. And it says they were not willing to come. They weren't willing to come. They're resisting, refusing the gift. The first invitation. The second invitation starts in verse 4. Again, he sent out other servants. In the natural, that might have been like Jesus sending out those original disciples. He sends out another group of servants saying, tell those who are invited, Israel, tell them, see, I have prepared my dinner, my oxen, the fatted calf, the fatted cattle, they're all killed. The sacrifices have been made. All things are ready. Come to the wedding. But, but, it's always a warning word, isn't it? But, They made light of it. They went on their way, 
They're too busy, basically. One went to his own farm and another back to his business. And then the rest seized his servants, treated them spitefully, and killed them. But when the king heard about it, he was furious, and he sent out his armies to destroy those murderers and burned up their cities. Tell those that have been invited, I have prepared everything. Everything's prepared. He wants everybody who's invited to come. And their response breaks his heart, and we even see the wrath of God, his anger coming forth. He was persistent, and yet they wouldn't come. A commentator named Barclay says that this, that when a great social event happened in the Jewish culture of that day, people were invited, but there wasn't a set time. On the appropriate day, and when the host was ready to receive the guests, they sent out messengers to say that all the things were ready and it was now time to come to the feast. It's a little bit like the Jewish betrothal and the wedding. When things were prepared, the two that were betrothed, they, they lived like, as if they were married except they didn't live together. And then when everything was prepared, the bridegroom would go to the brides and get the bride and bring her back. And they would have the wedding and the celebration. The king is saying, I have got everything prepared. Everything is ready. It was time for them to come to the feast. So he had sent out these invitations. And the final summons comes, and they still refuse it. They refuse it. They made light of it. There's this group of people that made light of it. It wasn't important. The message of the wedding feast of the king's son wasn't important. The message of the gospel of Jesus Christ to those that are invited, so many, they don't have time. It's not important enough. I've got all these other things I need to do. And that group of people is, is bad enough. But then there's this other group of people that says they, 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 they beat the servants and killed the servants. There's this, this group of people that received an invitation that were just not interested. And then there's this group of people who are flat out hostile. And the message and the people today, same way. Some are indifferent, it's just not important. And others are hostile, will attack anything that has to do with the gospel, with Jesus Christ, with Christianity. All things are ready, is what his words were. All things are ready. For us, that all things is the message of the gospel. Everything's ready. God has made all the preparations. It started in the womb of a virgin. Nine months of gestation, he lived and walked on the earth for 30 years. Started his ministry that ultimately took him to a cross on Calvary after he had been beaten to a bloody pulp. He was nailed to a cross, suffered and died and was buried. All things have been made ready. Third day, he rose again from the dead. Death couldn't hold him. The power of sin was broken. The power of death was broken. All things are ready. 
He's saying the invitation, everything's ready. It's here now. Now is the day of salvation. But they were too busy. And some were so anti that they destroyed the messengers, killed the messengers. The indifferent people, they didn't care about his oxen or his fatted calf. The indifferent people don't care about his son Jesus who was nailed to a cross. And then there's those that are hostile to the whole thing. And the king was furious. You know, God is patient. Thank God. He is long-suffering. Thank God. But there is a judgment day. There is a day when the wrath of God is going to be fully exposed to those who reject Him. Here we even see this being prophetic in 70 A.D., approximately 70 years after this story that Jesus told. Notice it says, He burned up their city. Jerusalem, the holy city, God's chosen city, became their city. And Titus came and he destroyed the city, burnt the city, flattened the city, and destroyed the temple in 70 A.D. The prophetic word came to pass. Judgment came. There is going to be a day of judgment. A quote by Spurgeon I thought was interesting. The divine retribution that fell upon Jerusalem ought to convey a solemn warning to us. In these days when so many are making light of the gospel in our highly favored land, no nation ever yet refused the gospel without having some overwhelming judgment as the consequence of their daring criminality. May God prevent such an awful calamity by His almighty grace. That was written a long time ago. By Charles Spurgeon. So much more true today. A nation that rejects the gospel. The second invitation was rejected. God's chosen people, the invited ones, had rejected it. Starting in verse 8, we see the third invitation. Then he said to his servants, The wedding is ready, but those who were invited, Israel, they were not worthy. Therefore, go into the highways, and as many as you find, invite to the wedding. So the servants went out into the highways and gathered together all whom they found, both bad and good. You could say both Jew and Gentile and pagan alike. Invited everybody. The invitation was open to all. Because those that were originally invited had rejected it. Both good and bad. And the wedding hall was filled with guests. As many as you find, invite them. The king was determined, was determined to fill that wedding hall. You know, God's judgment is certain. It's going to come. But I just want to read a couple of scriptures to you quickly. First, in 2 Peter 3.9, The Lord is not slow about His promise, as some count slowness. But he has patience towards you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. He gets no pleasure out of the wicked being sent to hell. In Ezekiel 33, verse 11, Say to them as I live, declares the Lord God, 
I, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but rather that the wicked would turn from his way and live. Turn back. Turn back from your evil ways. Why then will you die, O Israel? Sometimes people wonder about God, this God who's going to judge one day and think, who would want to serve such a God? We see the patience and the long-suffering of God, but we need to understand there is going to be a day when judgment will come. And God will not get joy out of that. He wants all to come. They went out and they gathered everybody. The third invitation was a broad invitation. The gospel message was opened to all of us. Really, this part of the parable, you could say, is really a picture of grace. The grace of God. Open to all. And the wedding hall is full. And notice it says then, well, I'll read starting in verse 11. But when the king came in to see the guests, basically the nation of Israel has been judged, but he's going to be judging individuals one day. And it says the king came in to see the guests. And he saw a man there who did not have on a wedding garment. So he said to him, friend, how did you come in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Then the king said to his servants, bind him hand and foot. Take him away. Cast him into outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen. When the king came to see the guests, guests, the king comes. And there's a personal inspection. And he says to this guy, where's your wedding garment? Well, there's a couple things that are striking there. What did he expect that guy to be wearing? You went out into the highways and byways and the streets and went through the town and said, everybody come right now, it's ready. They're not going to all be dressed in their finest wedding garments, are they? Now, there's some disagreement about historical evidence that sometimes in those days there would be a garment given to every gift, but guests that would come. But there seems to be really an inconclusive evidence to that being the reality. But even having said that, there's something that the king was expecting to see the guests all wearing. Because he took them from the highways. And it certainly wouldn't have been fair, wouldn't have been just to judge them for what their clothes were. So what was the garment that they were supposed to be wearing? I believe it's clear in this that the garment they should have been wearing was the righteousness of Christ. Put on the righteousness of Christ. And you have that garment of the righteousness of Christ. We are cloaked in the righteousness of Christ the moment we receive Jesus Christ as our personal Lord and Savior. The moment. If you've accepted Jesus, you have the right clothes on to attend the wedding feast of the Lamb in Revelation. You are dressed appropriately. But if not... If not, it's interesting when we look at this. I'm going to, I'm going to take you to Isaiah 61 first. I just, I, I just love the way Scripture helps us understand. In Isaiah 61.10 it says, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God. For He hath clothed me, clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of of righteousness. The king goes into the feast and there's this one guy, this one person, this one individual, 
And as he's investigating, as he's examining every heart, he sees this one that does not have on the appropriate garments. But he's there. He came in. He responded to the invitation. He heard the message. He heard the invitation. And he says, I'm going to go. Who could that possibly represent? What could be wrong with coming in? He responded. Now, application is always open to a little bit of interpretation. So I'm just going to share what I think for sure. And there are those who agree or who I agree with. I believe there are many people who are hurting. They're miserable. Their life stinks in so many ways because of bad choices, situations, whatever. And they hear about this thing called Christianity, Jesus, who can make all their pain and suffering go away. And they said, Amen, I want that. Well, they probably didn't say Amen. They said, that sounds good to me. And they come. They come to the invitation. But they come looking for what the king can do for them. The benefits. They don't come looking for the king. They don't come looking for the son. They come wanting a quick fix. They come wanting to feel better. Shoot, if you tell me I'll feel better, I'll pray anything you want me to pray. And you guys look pretty good. I think I'll even come to your church. You, you dress up and you'll clean up pretty good. and You seem a little happy. Maybe if I hang out with you, you'll be, I'll get happy. I want what you got. But what they don't understand is what we've got is Jesus living in us. Not the blessings. We get those as a perk. And I believe this, this shows so clearly. There, is, there are those that don't have time for the gospel. Those are those, there are those that are hostile towards the gospel. And then there are those that are, 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 are deceived. They're not interested in the king. They're not interested in the king's son. They came to eat the butchered ox and the butchered calf. They want what's offered. But they don't want the one who offers it. And sadly, the ones that are indifferent and the ones that are hostile and the ones that come and their hearts are not changed. They're not born again by the Spirit of God. None of them get to come to the feast. They're all going to be cast out into that place of darkness. When the king came and he looked at that guy and he asked him, where was your garment? Notice, he had no excuses. He was speechless. He had condemned himself. He knew. He came for the blessings, not the one that gives them. He knew. He didn't say a word. And he's cast into outer darkness. The last part of that parable, sometimes can be or seem very confusing. It says, many are called, but few are chosen. And I think one of the mistakes that we make when we try to understand that 
is we don't really interpret who the called are accurately. Who are the called in this parable? Sometimes we attach that whole predestined group to that called group here, and I believe it's just very clear. Those that are called are the ones who receive the invitation. Many are called, many are invited. Everybody's invited. Jesus wants everybody to come. God wants everybody, everybody to accept the invitation. Everybody. The invitation has been extended. We are all called in that sense of being invited. The called originally were the Jewish people. They rejected the invitation. They were God's chosen people, were they not? They were His chosen people. They were invited as His chosen people and rejected it. Many are called. The invitation is for all. It doesn't matter who you are, what your past was, what you've done, what lies you believe about the, that the enemy's trying to put in your head. It doesn't matter when you come to Jesus and the cross. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. There's no one in here, not one of us. You know, it says, please come, I've prepared everything. The king is saying, there is nothing you can do. Just come, it's all done. It's all prepared. If you think you're going to come because you earned your invitation, you're going to be cast out into outer darkness because you can't earn anything. It's, a, it's, a, it's an invitation. Many are called. We're, we're invited. Few are chosen. Who are the chosen? I think the chosen are those who receive salvation through Jesus Christ and accept the truth of the gospel. And their lives are changed forever. That's what it requires to be the chosen. Don't worry about whether you're chosen or not. Worry about what are you doing with the invitation? What are you doing with the invitation? You're here, so I'm assuming you're not hostile to the the message of the cross. We're here because we're not indifferent, I hope. But you know, it would, it would always puts the fear of God in me to think that there might be somebody here who hasn't truly accepted the giver of life, the one who gives out peace, the one who brings joy and hope. And they came because they wanted to feel better. And that's it. They wanted to eat at the table but they did not want to surrender their life to the king. And I believe there's always somebody here like that. I believe that's why it's so important that the good news of the gospel goes forth every single time we gather. That we need to know that the invitation is to not just a banquet, it's to be the bride of the bridegroom. The feast is fun, but I'd rather be the bride of the bridegroom. And that's the answer to the invitation. Those that are called versus those that are chosen. How did we respond to the invitation? How have you responded? How have I responded? You know, there was a long time early in my walk, well, it was before my walk, I thought I was walking with the Lord. 
Because when I cried out to God, it was because I was miserable and felt terrible. I was doing drugs. I was a crappy husband. Fortunately, I didn't have all my kids yet, so only one of them had to have the really bad father. And I said, God, you've got to change me. And he answers that, but the answer is surrender and accept me. It took a long time for my simple mind to get that. I just wanted to feel better about who I was and how I was living. I'd have prayed anything. I'd have done anything. Give me a book. I'll even go to church if you make me. Whatever it takes. And then again to realize all it takes is for me to acknowledge that I am a sinner. And the invitation is to have the cloak of Christ's righteousness draped around me. And to do that, I need to accept Christ as my personal Lord and Savior, acknowledging that I am a sinner and He died in my place. And I am willing to surrender everything to Him. That's why we call Him Lord. Now, I don't want anybody to think, in case you're new to this place and you don't know me, I, I have not done all that perfectly yet. None of us have. But it's a heart condition. Every day we're, gonna, we're learning to surrender more, surrendering more, surrendering more. But the key is, I want to surrender. Because God loved me so much, He died for me. And because I'm so thankful I want to love Him and live for Him. It's a simple message. And in these parables, Jesus just kept saying over and over to him, God, I wish you guys would get it. I wish you'd get it. Make sure we have. Make sure you have. Let's close in prayer. Lord, the gift of salvation is such a big gift we can't even comprehend it all. But this much I know. No one here was good enough to deserve it. But your love was so amazing. Your grace so overwhelming that you invited us. You offered up Jesus. And you made an invitation for all to come. Lord, I thank you that your Holy Spirit works in each one of us. Your Holy Spirit draws us and woos us. I pray, God, that you will not relent if there is anyone here who has not made that decision to accept Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Holy Spirit, keep wooing, keep drawing. And Lord, help us to be your hands and feet for those that have known and have been born again by the Spirit of God, that we would be your voice, that we would, we would be those who would be out there fulfilling your commission to go into all the world and make disciples. And that we would be able to help people discover and experience the abundant life in Christ. That your kingdom would be advancing. And that we would be a part of that. 
pray these, that you'd be glorified in all of this. Lord, I pray also as we go our separate ways this morning, you would go before us, be arranging those divine appointments where we can share the love and the good news of the gospel. Watch over us, protect us. Lord, I pray that all that we do brings glory and honor to you. In Jesus' name, amen.